Hey everyone, Lainey here. So I am so excited that author Mark Hartzman decided to rejoin us and do his interview over again after the technical difficulties that we had. I am so thrilled that he was okay with doing it. So I hope that you enjoy this interview. And remember, you can still put in an entry for Chasing Ghosts to get a copy of it. Just follow the instructions in the show notes. Okay, ready to get spooked? Mark, welcome to the show. If you could give us a little bit of background on who you are and where people can find you. Hi, thanks for having me. So a little bit of my background, I'm, uh, I've been writing about weird history for a long time now, um, all sorts of weird history. I've written about sideshow performers, weird messages uh, that God allegedly told people, um, Oliver Cromwell's Embalmed Head, a whole memoir written from the head's point of view, spans 300 years of history. I wrote about weird history on Mars, as, along with weird presence and future. And uh, now for my latest book, Chasing Ghosts, um, getting into the weirdness of our obsession with the paranormal and supernatural and spirits. So I, I love weird history. I run a website called weirdhistorian.com. You can find a lot of my work there. And yeah, I'm just fascinated by these you know strange pages of history and uh, find it to be uh, incredibly interesting. Um, and love sharing these stories with people. So you can check out my site as well, markhartsmanbooks.com to see uh, more of my work. Awesome. So what led you to wanting to write Chasing Ghosts? What was it about this particular book that inspired you to write it, release it, and then, you know, have it ready for a big audience? I think Ghost is something I've, I've had an interest in for a long time. I mean, when I was a kid, I would read stories about, about ghosts, not, not ghost stories like novels, but like stories about ghosts that supposedly, you know, were there. So like, <laughs> I guess if you could call it nonfiction ghosts. So I've always kind of had interest, but then over the past few years, I started getting more, much more interested in the spiritualism movement, mm-hmm. uh, particularly, you know, around the turn of the century, the Victorian era. And I just started buying a lot of books on the subject uh, from that era, not current stuff, but like from the late 1800s and early 1900s. And they're just wonderful, beautiful books. They have these amazing titles and beautiful, uh, you know, cover art and illustrations throughout. And the stories, obviously, within are just amazing. You know, these tales of of mediums, you know, manifesting spirits in uh, unbelievable ways, or the messages that's, that mediums were saying that were coming from the dead. So all kinds of messages that they were receiving from the dead, uh, including from lots of famous people, um, which I get into in the Chasing Ghost book, people like Mark Twain and Edgar Allan Poe and uh, politicians, um, and then just random people too, just explaining what the afterlife was, afterlife was like. So I just found that whole era to be quite, uh, quite fascinating. Just to to think that millions of people were so strongly believed in this and were so confident that there was life after death and we could communicate with that life after death. You know, with with those lost loved ones and friends and family. And I mean, what a time that must have been alive, knowing that when you were dead, that wasn't it. So I, I guess it kind of stemmed with wanting to share some of those stories, mm-hmm. um, who these remarkable people were you know, the effects that they produced, uh, the different kinds of ways they made people believe. Um, not to say that they were all um, frauds either. I mean, most of them were proven fraudulent in one way or another, but some of them are still quite mysterious in, ter- in terms of how they were able to produce these effects. The other thing I love about it is even if they were fraudulent, I love the fact that these people were able to figure out ways to do the things they did. It's, it's almost 
is incredible is actually talking to the dead. And we can get to some of those uh, specifics as we go on. Yeah, I love that. So some of the more well-known frauds that we know in the paranormal world are the Fox sisters, and you actually write about them in your book. So can you give us just a brief preview of their story and kind of why it fascinated you? Yeah, the Fox sisters are the ones that really kicked off the modern spiritualism movement. And that was in 1848 in a small town called Hydesville, New York, Western New York. Um, they lived in a small little house. And these were little kids. These were two young girls. They were like nine and 11, you know, just really young. And they started uh, supposedly, you know, hearing rapping sounds and knocking sounds in their house. And they, they told their parents. Um, and it was believed that these sounds were a communication from a spirit, from a, a spirit that they found out was named Mr. Splitfoot, who was apparently uh, murdered and buried in the basement of the home. So this became an overnight sensation. They had like hundreds of neighbors came by the next day to hear more about this and to witness these knockings and, and, and rappings for themselves. And they would communicate through yes, no, you know, knock once for yes, knock twice for no, that kind of thing. And they'd go through the alphabet, stop in a certain letter um, to kind of spell words out. So they had this whole communication. And their older sister, they had a, an older sister, uh, Leah, who lived about uh, a few hours away in Rochester. And she was about 20 years older. So she recognized that what these two girls were doing was, was really something special and thought that, hey, we can capitalize on this. So she became more or less their tour manager, and they began touring around Rochester, holding these seances and delivering messages from beyond. And people loved it. They were making great money. And soon enough, they headed down to New York City and became sensations in New York City and soon traveled the country and, and across the pond over to Europe. Um, so they became incredibly famous with, for this ability to communicate with the dead. Of course, some people didn't believe it. They thought they were just you know using their joints or, you know, uh, they're cracking their bones in a certain way to make these noises. Um, 40 years later, after that first knocking and rapping, they did admit in front of a spiritualist convention in New York City that that is what they were doing. <laughs> they were <laughs> demonstrating on stage and people didn't want to believe it. At that point, it was like the ship had sailed and spiritualism is, was off and running for, you know, immediately yeah. after they, they were a sensation. So, by then, you know, you had millions of followers and million, you know, thousands of mediums across the country. So, um, so they just assumed that, that the Fox sisters now were trying to capitalize on not being spiritualists and try to make some money from the other direction because they kind of followed on some hard times. Uh, so, yeah, so they tried to admit it, but um, no one bought it. That's so funny to me that <laughs> you basically, they're like the Millie Vanilli of <laughs> the paranormal world. It's like they tried to make a comeback and everybody's like, well, you know. Now we, we've moved on. So one of the things everybody is always interested in, of course, is your own personal, one of the, I guess, taglines for the show is share your own personal spooky tale. Um, so if you haven't had any paranormal experiences, what are you kind of hoping somebody who may be a skeptic or who hasn't yet had, I always like to keep hope out there for, for people who are waiting for their experience to happen. So what are you hoping people get from your book, especially if they're skeptics going into it and are like, well, I'm not exactly sure of, uh, you know, like what's going on in the spiritual world or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So I haven't had my own particular experience where I'm like, oh, I definitely saw something and I'm convinced this is real. And I've met people who certainly have mm -hmm. and are 
completely convinced because of their personal experience. Um, I haven't had that, although I am totally open to it. I've gone on plenty of ghost tours, although I realize that ghosts aren't going to just, you know, appear on demand. <laughs> um, that That's not really reasonable. So I get that. But, you know, I've, I've tried. I've been on a ghost tour with Lorraine Warren. So I thought maybe that was a good shot. That was at the Mark Twain house years ago, which is known to be haunted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I can't say I've had my own particular experience, but I would hope that the people who might be skeptical would kind of come into this a bit open-minded, um, as I certainly have, because I think there's a lot of really intriguing stories in here about, you know, I, I get into ways that science can show how paranormal events might be explained mm-hmm. scientifically through physics of some sort that we just don't really perceive, um, but are, are working and affecting our brains in unusual ways, which I find fascinating. But then there's there's certain instances that that those things don't quite explain and we don't have good solid scientific explanations for. Um, and those are the cases that just really make you wonder. Um, along with that, you just look back at, you know, throughout history, we've had these kinds of uh, beliefs in ghosts. I mean, it goes all the way back to, you know, the first humans, we've always wondered, is there life after death? Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's clearly an age old question, but it's interesting seeing how different cultures across the world have had similar beliefs uh, even though their civilizations never made contact with each other. So there's a lot of thoughts out there, you know, people, experiences people still have today that that do make you wonder, is there something more? And for me, I like the idea of keeping that that hope alive, that maybe there is something more. I find it really bleak and, and uh, sad if there isn't. Right. Yeah, I'm the same way. I genuinely hope that there's more on the other side and that <laughs> this isn't it. You know, because I'm sure, you know, I'm hoping everybody's over there having a party and just having a really good time. Um, so what was research like for this book? Tell me, kind of run me through the steps you took to even start the book and then how you went about researching the stories. Well, certainly having uh, the books I've collected over the years was a good help. So it was great to be able to, to kind of dig into those and pull out some interesting stories to share. So that was that was part of it. Um, going through old newspaper archives, I always love doing that because you just uncover such amazing stories and, and one thing leads you to another. So you find things you weren't even looking for. And it's it's really interesting how many times ghosts made big headlines in newspapers going back, you know, 100 years or, or longer. I mean, this was often news, you know, newsworthy events, which I really love. They just make for really, uh, you know, intriguing articles. Um, so that was a great source just to find out about uh, maybe some lesser known stories. Um, clearly, the more known mediums, there was plenty written about them between old newspapers and old magazines, um, various journals. So it was it was great kind of digging through those and just digging up more information. Um, and then uh, interviewing people um, is always a great way to go. Just other experts on the topic in various fields, uh, which included parapsychologists, um, paranormal investigators. Uh, the executive director at the Ryan Research uh, Center um, down in North Carolina. So that was that was great, just hearing about the work they're doing. Um, and then visiting places as much as I could, uh, which, you know, a bit of a challenge writing the book during COVID to, to do too many visits just mm-hmm. because places weren't open. Right. <laughs> at least not all of them. Um, but I did what I could because, uh, of course, being being in a place, even if I don't experience a ghost, at least you can see the place get a sense of it, get a feel for it, and pick up more of the history just from, you know, being there in person. So um, those are the various uh, ways I went about researching. Yeah. And you also took your daughter along with you on some of those. And 
So talk about kind of your family's dynamic in when it comes to the paranormal and kind of everybody's stance on it. Because in my family, we definitely have a variety of people who are staunch believers and then others who, like my husband, are incredibly skeptical. So he gets more of a chuckle and a laugh out of people's stories um, than, say, my mom would, who would, you know, have more of an emotional reaction to um, stories that people share. Yeah, it's a little similar here. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say uh, this household's a little split. My my wife um, uh, does not share my enthusiasm for, for the subject. <laughs> and my younger daughter just does not like anything that might be scary. Uh, so, so, although she loves Ghostbusters. But, um, but you know, she doesn't want to watch a scary movie or, right. or think about ghosts <laughs> as a real thing. So, but my older daughter is fascinated like I am. She's really into it. So we took a trip together to Lilydale Assembly in Western New York, which is a, a small community of spiritualists, still practicing spiritualists. Um, so it's a wonderful, peaceful little place. You walk around and every, every home has a medium sign out front. Uh, we did a reading with a spirit artist, which was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, they have a, a place called Inspiration Stump, which is a old tree stump that uh, has been there for over 100 years from a tree that was, was taken down by lightning and mediums have met there for more than 100 years. So there's a, a lot of energy that they feel there. And they do kind of, you know, cold readings from people in the audience, different mediums come up. So it was interesting to just experience that. So yeah, I mean, just being there again in a place where there's so much history of spiritualism, mm -hmm. the hotel we stayed at has precipitated paintings, which were paintings done in the late late 1800s, early 1900s by mediums who basically said the spirits were painting these paintings. Um, hmm. And they would, they would be revealed as people sat there and watched, revealed on the canvas in a very short amount of time, which without the, you know, obviously the mediums are not using a brush, they're just holding the canvas there and they just watch the painting kind of come into focus. So oh, it's a pretty, pretty amazing, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing how that worked. And, and I get into maybe how that might have happened book mm -hmm. um, within Chasing Ghosts, but seeing the actual paintings, you know, with your own eyes versus looking it up online, um, you know, it goes a long way. It's, it's pretty remarkable. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a, I think, a, a great trip to be able to take um, and definitely help with the book. Awesome. No, that's really interesting. I didn't know about those um, paintings. Now, um, one of my favorite parts of the book, of course, is when we talk about kind of the the staples in the paranormal world in terms of haunted locations. Um, the Winchester Mystery House is mentioned, along with Eastern State Penitentiary. Now, I've been to Eastern State um, before, and I think you said you have as well, right? Yeah, I was able to go. Once they reopened, I mm -hmm. went. <laughs> yeah, and so I always got the impression before I went that it was going to be this really, like, creepy thing, and I would be, you know, walking into this you know, environment with all of this, you know, random energy. But I'm curious to see what you thought about your experience there. I thought it was, uh, you know, it was a fascinating history of just penitentiary, learning about how the penitentiary began. It's the first penitentiary in America. So it's a holy way to, you know, try prison reform or, or criminal reform, right? Mm -hmm. Like this new attempt with having everyone basically in solitary confinement, you know, with, with a window at the top, almost as if God is looking in. So you were being penitent, hence penitentiary. Mm. Um, and of course, like everything is just so kind of dilapidated, which gives it that creepy look, the paint chipping off the walls and everything is just, you know, uh, it just looks old and run down, which gives it some of that creepy charm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for lack of a better term. Um, 
you know, I went, I went during the day, so obviously had a lot of daylight and everything. So it didn't, you know, it doesn't feel, I didn't see anything. Um, can't say I saw any ghosts or felt anything, but mm-hmm. you know, you can feel how the souls that were there must've been a bit tormented. Yeah. And, uh, so you can get a sense that, yeah, if they were hanging around, it would be a tough place to, to spend your eternity along just the prison lines. So I, I, years ago, I went, I was actually on a, a shoot for my job. I'm in advertising. And we were shooting a, a video in Mansfield, Ohio, which happened to be like less than a mile from the Ohio, Ohio State Reformatory, which is where they shot, um, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, a present Shawshank show? Redemption. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shaw, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yes. Sorry about that. No, good. And that place, that place was really creepy. That was even oh, more really? run down than uh, Eastern State. Yeah. That was a pretty incredible experience. Um, and again, you just feel like, wow, the, the, what people must have endured in these places mm. is definitely horrifying. So you kind of do get that feeling of just horror and terror, knowing that, knowing what happened and imagining what happened in these places that you're, you know, now standing within. Yeah. Um, so there's, there is that feeling, but, um, in terms of actually seeing something or hearing something, or sensing something, um, I, I didn't have that experience, but, but, you know, you can kind of, uh, have that it. imagination yeah to, yeah you get can a sense of, of what was going on exactly and that's why i think this book is really great we have already had some listeners who have submitted their um entry requests for the giveaway that we're doing they're very excited about this and i know they're going to be excited to hear from you as well finally <laughs> um <laughs> they already know about the uh technical difficulties i had last time um which is very rare for for me so that's you know they're like what the heck i know Everybody listening, I understand. I get it. Um, but one of we've we've talked about previously about our paranormal bucket lists, and there are a few things on mine. So I definitely one day want to go to Waverly Hills, and I definitely want you to share your experience there because again, you know, for us paranormal geeks out there who you know see have seen all these shows, you know, like MTV's Fear and different ghosts. Um, hunters episodes you know where they're going and everything is built up in suspense and lights and everything um it's different than actually being there um and so i think that that one for me if i ever get the opportunity to go or if i'm ever brave enough to go um would really i think kind of be impactful because i feel like when you're there the energy is different so what was your experience um well i wasn't at waverly hills oh no you, I thought you went to Waverly Hills. No. A sanatorium? Uh, Trans-Allegheny. Oh, that's the one. There you go. I was like, yes. hold on. I know it was one. <laughs> okay, so see, now Waverly Hills is mine. But yes, Trans-Allegheny is also another one that is extra creepy um, from the perspective of people who've never been. So can you share your experience there? Yeah. I mean, first of all, all the sane asylum. I mean, right off the bat, you know, that's going to be kind of creepy. Yeah. And again, it's one of these places, you know, you walk through the different wards, the different hallways, and they have, you know, all these rooms where they tell you about different stories of people who were there. In some some cases, they've left things out for the ghosts to be able to play with. If there were kids there, they have like playing cards on the floor. Some rooms have cigarettes on the floor left for the different ghosts they believe are there. Um, But again, it's imagining what happened there you know and you walk down this hallway and you think about the people who got you know transorbital lobotomies mm. 
um, which was running rampant at that time, which is just horrifying, you know, with the ice pick through the eye. I mean, just just awful. Um, and all the different kinds of treatments they had there, uh, again, which were which were not so great. Yeah. <laughs> the history there is, is pretty horrific. Um, so walking through there, again, just keeping in mind all the different things that people are going through and then uh, and the pain that they were enduring is, is definitely quite frightening. And the crazy thing about it, it's a weird term I just used, but the crazy thing about it is people who were admitted there, of course, some of them were probably insane to some degree, but a lot of them were just dropped off there because they were unwanted. You know, people could almost be left there for almost no reason at all. Like a husband who was angry at his wife, just drop her off, and, you know, leave her there. I mean, it was crazy what was going on there. It's, it's really um, a bizarre set of circumstances that were happening in the late 1800s at this yeah. place. Yeah, I mean, uh, And probably yeah. going on for too long. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's it's got to be, you know, now there's, you know, systems in place to kind of help prevent that from happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, you hear that all the time in these kinds of stories, especially um, when you're dealing with any type of mental health issue or anything like that. It's just, you know, this is where we put them all. And it was in um, in operation for a really long time. So, you know, I just think about the amount of energy that's there, both good and negative. And I just can't imagine kind of the the overwhelming feeling for people who may be sensitive to situations like that in terms of, you know, if they're mediums or anything like that. You mentioned we talk a little bit about this um, or we talked a little bit about this earlier with the Fox sisters and how, you know, they misled people. And you talk about other people in the book, too, who do the same thing. Why do you think that people take advantage um, of situations like that where they pretend to have these abilities um, or have these opportunities like with the spirit photography and ectoplasm? Like, why do you think that was happening? I think there might be a few different things that were going on. Like the Fox sisters, for example, they might have just been playing a joke and getting attention. And then all of a sudden, their sister picks up on it. And and now she wants to keep doing it to keep making money. Mm-hmm. And there were reports that the Fox sisters, they were like, we don't want to do this anymore, but felt pressured to keep doing it. So they might not have had this sort of truly devious mentality about it. Mm-hmm. It might have just been a little bit of a joke gone awry and gone too far and, and it was hard to get out of it, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, and I think similar things may have happened. I mean, with Mumler, uh, William Mumler, the first spirit photographer who began in the early 1860s, you know, he he sort of, I think, stumbled upon it by accident with a self-portrait he shot and saw a ghost, ghost-like figure behind him. And then a spiritualist friend suggested that this might be an actual ghost and he should continue doing it. So he thought, oh, well, okay. And then he just kept doing it, <laughs> and yeah. kept getting money for it. I think, and then I think there's like an obligation to keep pleasing people, maybe who want to see their lost loved ones. So again, I I don't know 
how much he was trying to really deceive people on purpose, whereas maybe he started to feel like, now maybe I'm helping people mm. and they're paying me, so I'll just keep doing this. <laughs> um, but it was pretty amazing what the effects he was able to produce. So I think there might be some of that. And I think some of them may just be, you know, straight up charlatans who saw an opportunity to make money and were opportunists, especially when you think about some of the biggest moments of spiritualism, you know, highlights or, or high points where after the Civil War and after World War One, when you had just massive casualties. Right. You know, massive loss of loved ones and people wanting to grieve and reconnect and, and feel that they weren't completely lost without them. So I think people took advantage of those opportunities to to help them out, you know, and help them grieve. Yep, I agree with that. Super unfortunate that people kind of take that upon themselves to do um, those types of things. It kind of reminds me of, you know, Houdini and the whole um, with his wife situation where she, you know, held seances, you know, every Halloween to basically continue this pattern of wanting to know if there was an afterlife and everything. And I, you know, that that story kind of really depresses me because, you know, it it was something she kind of wanted and then it didn't happen, which I guess for, you know, most people is sad. But I, I thought it was great that you um, mentioned Harry in there because it kind of feels wrong not to when he <laughs> when he, you know, kind of started this whole situation with his wife and everything like that. So Harry Houdini has his yeah. hands and everything. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you would hope that if if someone was going to come back, it would have been Houdini. Right. Because <laughs> Houdini, you know, Houdini was open to the idea of this being possible. But he just didn't, he hadn't personally experienced anything or seen anyone that he believed was genuine. Mm -hmm. um, so he was, you know, he did not like the idea of people uh, taking advantage of others, you know, uh, taking their money for, for grief. Um, so he was out to expose as many mediums as he could, and he focused a lot of his time on that. Mm -hmm. uh, he'd actually practiced spiritualism, like seances, very early in his career, so he knew how to do these effects. And then he started being, thinking, like, why am I doing this? This is terrible. Um, and so, you know, he obviously changed his mind about his, his whole attitude toward it. But he knew the tricks, you know, he knew how to make things possible. Um, and so he went after them. And he had a team of, of helpers that would go after them as well. So he had a whole you know, squad trying to expose yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> he exactly. Was the he had a Ghostbusters Ghost team. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's but yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating um, what he went through. And, you know, one of his famous cases was with a medium named Marjorie. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> she's a really interesting case that kind of goes back to your last question. Um, because she started doing seances not for money. She was just doing them at home. You know, she was a housewife in Boston. And I spoke with her her great granddaughter, and I think to some degree, the I, you know, her thought was that, you know, Marjorie had been divorced and had a son, and then was able to remarry. Um, uh, Leroy Crandon was he was a doctor, and he had also was on this was also his second marriage. He was known to be a bit of a womanizer, and he liked spiritualism. So part of it may have been Marjorie trying to, and her name was her real name was Mina. She used Marjorie as like a, you know, her medium pseudonym, name. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, trying to just keep a little bit of anonymity. Um, but she might be just, you know, trying to keep his interest. You know, she couldn't be a divorce a second time for a woman at that time would, would have been a very difficult position to be in. Um, her brother had also passed away tragically a few years earlier. So her mother was grieving for the loss of her son. And so Marjorie was bringing back the voice of her brother, Walter, 
And that was usually the primary voice at the seances. Mm. And so initially, her mother was the, the, the most frequent attendee at these early seances and, uh, and believed it. So she might have just felt like, oh, well, now I guess I'll just keep doing this because it's helping mom feel better, you know, and then my husband's interested. So she might have had these like very human reasons, For personal keep, reasons yeah. to keep doing it. And then it wasn't until people found out about it and the whole Scientific American contest for uh, trying to find a, a, a genuine medium came up that everyone took interest. You know, Arthur Conan Doyle took great interest in her. And of course, because the panel, Houdini was on the panel, the judging panel for Scientific American, eventually he crossed paths with her. And of course, he did not believe. Everyone else believed that she was genuine except for Houdini. Um yeah, I think if there's so somebody... I, I get into that whole story in the book. <laughs> yes, it's really fascinating, which I I love the way that you broke the book up because it really does, you know, speak to interests that other people may have in terms of, you know, the more folklore side, because you get into kind of the um, Hispanic culture of the Aztecs, you get into um, Asian culture in terms of the, I think the hungry ghost, I forgot the name mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, those are really fascinating for me, especially because I am a history major. Um, that's what I got my degree in. So I, I love stories like that. I want to kind of know the origins of how these um, stories happened, because in pretty much every um, culture, you, for us in the Mexican culture, we have La Llorona, who is a woman who has, um, who's basically guilty of murdering her children and is forced to walk the earth looking for them, right? And she's crying and sobbing. Um, but that's not unique to the Mexican culture or its stories. So these tales have kind of gone on. So I'm curious, um, what's your favorite kind of folk tale or paranormal story with those kinds of origins? Oh, one thing I really love about those, I, I kind of touched on this earlier about the civilizations that hadn't crossed paths. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned the, like the Aztec culture. And I love the fact that the, the Aztec belief in the underworld um, and like the journey to, you know, an eternal paradise was this long, very long, arduous trek through the underworld, you know, uh, uh, obstacles overcome. It was like a crazy obstacle course, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was, you know, a very long process until uh, they would finally get to a, a, an end point where they could, and we're like given um, uh, different tools that they could use. Men and women were given different tools to use along the way. You know, they were buried with them so that their soul could have these at their disposal. And it's just very similar to the Egyptian Book of the Dead, you know, where they were buried with basically the Book of the Dead, a scroll with, you know, different uh, uh, information on how to get through, how to navigate the inner world to find this eternal paradise. And so just going through the different details of them both and seeing the similarities just in these concepts, I thought that was really quite interesting that that two cultures that were so far apart from each other um, would have such similar ideas. So, so that I, I found especially interesting. Um, in ghost hunting, uh, a lot of our listeners do um, their own ghost hunting, and we get a lot of stories from when um, they go on their own and investigate these places or do some urban exploring, if you will. And they have submitted to us at times EVPs that um, have been played on the show before, and they're kind of creepy, but you also talk about that in the book, and we talked a little bit about science and how that impacts kind of paranormal investigations. Um, but what are your thoughts on EVPs? And are you a believer of them? Do you think that those are actual 
you know, real things? Or is that just something we're hearing because of, you know, energy and power and electric stuff all working together? It's it's a tough question to answer. You know, it, I think the the phenomenon is pretty pretty intriguing. Um, and I talk about a few different cases of it in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the idea being that people use these spirit boxes where their radio frequencies are kind of zipping through back and forth, hoping that maybe a ghost is able to to communicate through one of those wavelengths. And then the idea is you can record it, listen back, and you might hear a voice. And certainly, you know, if there are paranormal investigators I talked to who would play me EVPs that they'd gotten, and to ensure that these were not voices of other people who might be with them, mm-hmm. um, either, you know, caught by accident or trying to, you know, mess with them uh, on purpose, you know, he would take uh, voice prints so that they could then check the recording and see if it matched a voice print of anyone on the team. And in his case, he he had them at the Merchant House in New York City, which is known to be a pretty haunted uh, house and uh, with, you know, various ghosts there. Mm. And they would get answers to questions, you know, intelligent answers to questions that they would ask. And he wasn't able to uh, to match anyone, anyone else's voice that he was with. So, I mean, those were intriguing cases. It's always kind of tough, though, when you're listening to an EVP and someone says, did you hear it? It says this. Oh, you know, yeah. don't, don't you hear it say this? And then once you say that, it's like, well, okay, yeah, now I hear it. Yeah, yeah. I can't unhear <laughs> it. Is, yeah, it's a little bit of you know groupthink, and it's a little bit of what, what's called apophenia, which is um, you know your mind kind of making sense of patterns it hears and trying to make sense of it. So just like uh, parodelia is like you know looking at a cloud, like oh, it looks like a shape, you know, and you, mm. you your brain decides it's something. Um, that's kind of like the audio version, where like okay, well, I'm hearing these noises, and maybe it says this. Um, and then you kind of decide that's what it says. So I, I think that makes it a little bit tricky. Um, but I do talk about an interesting case in the book of a, a few paranormal investigators who who were working at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, mm-hmm. Colorado. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Stanley's very well known for being where Stephen King was inspired to write The Shining. Yes. Um, I've stayed there for a night. That was pretty exciting. Uh, did the ghost tour. That sounds so cool. Didn't see anything, but. Still exciting. <laughs> Learned a lot. Yeah, it's, it's it's a great place. So so these guys were running a lot of ghost tours there, and it felt like they were uh, in touch with a lot of the ghosts there. They thought they'd become friendly with these ghosts, um, and they decided to try doing it a different way, where a listener would put on headphones and in the blindfold and just have complete sensory deprivation and be sort of set aside, and a questioner would then ask a question separately. So like maybe a room away or somewhere where the listener wasn't hearing what was being asked. And and then whatever came through this spirit box into the headphones, uh, that listener would just say it as soon as he heard something. So he wouldn't stop to think about it. If he heard it, he said it. Oh, and that wow. was kind of the, the idea, right? Whatever you hear, if you hear something, say something. And uh, and then afterward, they would match the answers to the questions and see what they got. And so I give some examples in the book that were definitely intriguing. Like, okay, so. That answer seems to kind of match the question. Um, the listener had no idea what was being asked. And, uh, you know, the questioner was not getting the answer until, you know, they found out what was being said afterwards. So um, definitely an interesting tool to use mm-hmm. or, or technique to use. In fact, someone I spoke to uh, at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum also used that method. 
because uh, she'd heard about it. And she also got some pretty interesting results. Oh, interesting. Uh, they were kind of kind of spooky. Yeah, freaked her out for sure. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe there's something to it. I mean, part of it also is, is it, is it even coming through the spirit box? I mean, some thoughts are that if a ghost wants to communicate with you, it could just happen all in your in your mind's eye or, or your mind's mm. ear, if you will. You know, that maybe a ghost isn't something you're going to see um, in front of you, but mm. you'll see it in your mind's eye. And maybe you'll see it in front of you. And maybe if I'm in the same place with you, maybe I'll, I'll smell something. You know, I'll have an olfactory uh, experience. Maybe someone else hears something um, as opposed to seeing something. So a, a ghost could, you know, we could receive a message from a ghost in all different kinds of ways. Um, again, just interesting theories and ways to look at it, but things I hadn't really thought about before uh, writing the book. So, yeah. you know, leaves, like I said, leaves the question open of, you know, could, could it be? Um, and certainly I think the possibility is there. I agree. And I think that everybody will be able to, you know, find some of those answers and maybe even answer their own questions by reading your book, because I know that it was very um, fascinating read for me before we even got to have a conversation. Um, I love paranormal books. Like I have a whole library full of Hans Holzer books and Alexandra Holzer. So I am a I'm a big fan. And so this gives me those vibes. I, I've told you that before. And I really, really do enjoy this book. So I'm very, very Thank thankful you. you came on. And I'm excited because you mentioned during um, the call initially that you're working on another book. So can we know what that's about? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm I'm working on a, a book on UFOs right now. Oh, which, yeah. Um, which is, I, I'm like overwhelmed right now with information. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was just in Roswell last week. Oh, amazing. We were just talking about yeah. that with our friend group, how they've never been. And I was like, oh, my God, you have to go. It's yeah, so it's much fun. Great. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, we'll be looking forward to that for sure. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners are going to have such a great time listening to this interview, and then also picking up your book. We have the link on our show notes, and you also still have the opportunity to enter a giveaway for the book. All of the instructions are in the show notes, everyone. So, Mark, thank you so much again for taking your time to meet with me and share with my audience about your incredible book. I can't wait to see who wins this. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. You can find my books at markhartsmanbooks.com, Mark with a C. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Mark Hartsman or at Weird Historian. And I also have my weirdhistorian.com site where you'll find lots of stuff about the paranormal and, and plenty of other good weirdness. Well, that does it for this episode. If you'd like to submit your own personal spooky tale to be read on the show, head to hauntedpod.com and click on the link to submit your story. You can also email me at hauntedpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore haunted, Instagram at it's haunted what now or at hauntedpod.com. Production assistance provided by Rebecca and Aaliyah Lopez. Writing assistance by Sherilyn Reyes. The official composer for the show is Nico at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. Audio engineering provided by Chez at Gray Multimedia. Until next time. Did you hear that?